0: If you stand on O'Connell Bridge in Dublin, facing west, at the midpoint of the bridge, there is an unsuspecting eight by six inch space. Doesn't look like much, but in this space intersect two stories. One of these stories tells of a grand failed project that vanished without trace. The other, a mysterious plaque that continues to exist and inspire truth, time, history and farce meet in this tiny contested patch of Dublin. This story was born from curiosity of reporter Jason Murphy. One Sunday night in Bow's pub he sat enjoying a pint and a bit of music. As the night was drawing to a close, singer Eddie Sherlock performed the ballad of somebody called Pat Noyes. the song describes an intriguing character and references a plaque on O'Connell Bridge. As the cogs in Jason's mind began to whirr, he wondered, was this plaque real or just the stuff of balladeering fiction? Curiosity got the better of him and took him to the spot the song described. And lo and behold...
1: Well, I'm here on
2: O'Connell Bridge and I found a plaque and it says... This plaque commemorates Father Pat Noyes, advisor to Padder Clancy. He died under suspicious circumstances when his carriage plunged into the Liffey on August 10th, 1919, erected by the H.S.T.I.
0: And there the plaque sits, in its eight-by-six-inch home atop a balustrade on O'Connell Bridge. But it's not the first resident of this tiny part of Dublin. In fact, the hole was created not for the plaque to father noise, but to accommodate a very different guest. Confused? Well, let me tell you a story. In fact, let me tell you two. 1996. It was the start of The Celtic Tiger. GDP was up, unemployment was down, young people weren't rushing to get the hell out of here. For the first time, maybe ever, the country had a few, Bob. We had confidence. This was a new, shiny, technologically savvy Ireland. We had a future in the digital age. And in 1996, across the Western world, attention was beginning to focus on the upcoming Millennium celebrations. Frank Kilfeather is a retired journalist who worked at the Irish Times for nearly 40 years. I wrote about every,
3: every damn thing, even, you know, the time I brought the cat on holidays, even stupid it was, you know. And my advice is to anybody out there, don't, under any circumstance, bring your cat on holidays, you know. Yeah!
0: Frank covered the highs and lows of Irish life and recalls the hype of 1996 that surrounded the upcoming millennium.
4: If you want my future, forget
3: my the millennium generally was going to be huge, you know. Uh, there was going to be so many celebrations. I wasn't just in, in Dublin. Right? All around the world, the millennium was big, big, big news. And uh, we were doing our thing. We were celebrating. But there again, that quickly ended in disaster.
0: (laughs) O'Connell Bridge and the River Liffey were to play a central role in Dublin's Millennium celebrations. The centrepiece was to be the Millennium Clock.
3: Well, it was fascinating because, I mean, no one had
0: ever heard of anything like this before. It consisted of a digital countdown submerged just below the water in the Liffey. The clock measured 12 metres and weighed six tonnes. And it was a fine bit of technology and a very, you know,
3: it, it, to have it, have it made and uh, to be put in there as, a, as a, an idea. I mean, we were fascinated and uh, it was a good thing. It was new and people generally say, OK, yeah. except those who thought, well, maybe we shouldn't be spending so much money on it.
0: It was a project of the National Lottery who were looking for a PR campaign to capture the spirit of 1996 Ireland.
3: Everybody was trying to do something to sort of bring in the millennium and, uh, you know, everybody, every organisation was going to do something. So the, the the National Lottery thought, oh, well, what we'll do is put this thing in and we would be ahead of everybody.
0: The clock was to tick off, second by second, the march of time until the 31st of December, 1999. It was made by Irish engineering firm, Irish Enco, who began work in December 1995 and was a product of a major competition launched by the National Lottery in 1994 with a prize of £10,000 for the winning submission. The clock itself was to cost an estimated £250,000. It was a gift to the city of Dublin from the National Lottery, which was to celebrate its 10-year anniversary in 1997. The clock was a masterstroke in public relations. Hmm, or so they thought. Ray Bates was then chairman of the National Lottery.
2: And this quarter of a million is coming from our marketing budget. And, And, for example, it's a choice between spending money advertising in the press or television or getting involved in a wonderful project like this. And we feel that doing something like this is giving something back to the city. It's from the marketing budget. It's got nothing to do with the beneficiary projects.
0: Now, the clock was due to begin running down our precious seconds on New Year's Eve 1994. But this deadline was missed, as was the following deadline of New Year's Eve 1995. Not everyone in Dublin was impressed.
5: That seems like a strange way to spend the money when they're supposed to be spending it on kind of... Things nice. that need money. We had the tired with the card, the flues into the
0: caves, and Now we have the time with
5: Roll on Dublin.
0: The team behind it were quoted at the time as saying the project has taken longer than expected because nobody has ever done anything like this before. That was not all. The clock was to be surrounded by metallic reeds, which were at thirty-second intervals, supposed to emit sounds that characterised Dublin. Seagulls, barrels at the Guinness factory and, of course, more street traders.
5: Onions are carrots? carrots, onions are say And
0: what else do you like with the
5: cauliflower? Uh.
0: The architects behind it all, Gronya Hassett and Vincent Ducates, described the project as a study of time, the immateriality of time. And the forces of nature. The most beautiful and astonishing clock in the world. After such a build-up, reality was sure to disappoint. Nearly two years after the National Lottery announced the competition... The clock was finally ready to be launched on the Friday of the Patrick's Weekend in 1996.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, to whom it concerns,
5: it's The Late Late Show. And here is your host, Gay Byrne.
0: RTE broadcast the event with a live link from O'Connell Bridge to The Late Late Show. Wait a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, I promised you two stories, didn't I? It might seem a little odd to jump forward by eight years in the life story of this placemat-sized patch of O'Connell Bridge, but I promise you, there is a point to all this. You see, these stories are all about leaving your mark in the world, but I'll get to that at the end. Now, the clock quite literally did leave a mark. It was on top of one of the balustrades of the bridge, where, with the use of a super-duper 1996 gizmo, you could get your own postcard printed. And I'll tell you more about that later too. It was when this gadget was unceremoniously evicted from its spot that Father Pat Noise moved in. Now I can hear what you're screaming at the radio. Who the hell is Father Pat Noise? Well, all we know so far in this double yarn is what the plaque says. Advisor to Pather Clancy died in suspicious circumstances in what seems like a high-speed carriage incident at the beginning of the War of Independence. Was the death of Father Noyes linked to the conflict in some way? That we don't know. But if the story of his death is mysterious, the story of his rebirth in bronze in 2004, is just as intriguing. Although the plaque was installed in 2004, it took two years before a journalist brought it to the attention of Dublin City Council, who at the time knew nothing of it. Dermot Lacey was then, and still is, a city councillor.
4: I first heard about it myself back in about 2004, 2005, uh, when the discovery of the plaque in honour of his memory uh, was uh, revealed on O'Connell Bridge, and reveal is probably the wrong word because it was discovered it was there for about two years, uh, unbeknownst to officialdom and unbeknownst to many people, uh, put there by people who wanted the story of Father Pat Noyes to be uh, acknowledged and remembered.
0: The discovery of the plaque caught people's attention. Here, in the heart of the capital, on the busiest bridge in the country, was a plaque to a man no one knew anything of that went completely unnoticed.
5: I've been walking over this bridge for the last 20, 25 years and I've never noticed it.
1: How can you have a plaque sitting here like, with thousands of like, people coming in from different countries reading that thing and that's true? I mean, it was there
3: for two years or so before anybody even knew it was there. And uh, so much for, you know, people being observant. But people are always rushing when they're going across O'Connell's Bridge. And with the result that when it was found out everybody, even the corporation who are in charge of Dublin couldn't believe what had happened.
0: What gives? Who put up this plaque? And who is Father Pat noise? Unlike most plaques which are attached to the streetscape and so protrude, the wonder Father Noyes is set neatly into a cavity in the bridge. So the 8 by 6 hole, which is the unlikely inspiration for this double-headed story? Well, It was a cavity created in 1996 to hold a postcard machine as part of the Millennium celebrations. You simply popped 20p in and out came a postcard with the number of seconds remaining to the Millennium printed on it. Aside from the plaque, very little information exists on further noise. Seamus Sweeney is a psychiatrist and working in Kilkenny, and he's studied time and its effect on
1: people. A few years ago, I was working as a lecturer in UCD, and I was preparing a lecture actually on conditions that affect people's perception of time. And perception of time is obviously relative, and I suppose um, one of the reasons I became interested in, in, in this period too was that I suppose it wasn't all that long after the establishment of the railways, and that was really what gave us the world of time that we live in today, where time is coordinated centrally, and the time in Dublin is the same as I'm in Cork, as the time in London indeed, and the whole idea of time zones and coordinating time, Um, because obviously our our, our bodies and uh, our brains indeed have... I suppose, evolved to live in the time of the natural world, whereas the time that we live in now is something that is, is, is quite artificial and is nevertheless imposed on us.
0: As well as being a psychiatrist, Seamus has also written for a variety of publications. Seamus is interested in how even fictional historical characters can leave a lasting mark. Like the existence, or otherwise, of Father Pat Noyes, Seamus believes the truth of a story isn't always the point. You have been warned.
1: This led me to read about Vico, who was a philosopher who believed that time recurred and a history followed a cycle or a spiral. And I was in the library in UCD and I found his his, his book, The New Science, uh, which expounds these ideas. In the middle of it, I found basically a dusty, kind of quite hard-to-read prayer card, which was for the beatification of Father Pat Noyes. And I read this and I'd never heard the father noise. And it was a very simple card. It said, please say Hail Mary on our father for this cause. Um, And he was beloved by the poor people of Dublin. So I had time at that stage of my life to research things a little bit more. uh, And it led me to the archives in All Hallows. And I couldn't find anything directly about father noise. But he came up in an awful lot of correspondence um, in the 1910s and the nineteen teens. Um, with the Archbishop, um, which was obviously concerned about this man who was described as very flamboyant, as as dressed in an extremely flamboyant manner, um, and also as, I suppose, proposing views which didn't seem entirely orthodox. Um, Now, the problem was, I suppose, everything was about him. There was nothing directly from him. uh, And it was difficult to know what did he really believe himself. Uh, and I got the sense that he always kind of was very much on the edge of being unorthodox, but just managed to not go, go there not to go over the precipice, um, as would later happen.
0: The plaque for the noise was discovered on O'Connell Bridge in 2006, erected by the HSTI. Now, there are no records for an organisation of the name HSTI in Ireland. It left those at the council perplexed.
4: Suddenly it became a bit of an issue because officials like bureaucracy uh, to be honoured and they like the rules to be obeyed and they like their authority to be honoured. And when they discovered that this plaque was on O'Connell Bridge and that they didn't know anything about, uh, they decided to remove it.
0: When the plaque was discovered, the council issued a statement which read Dublin City Council is investigating the extent of damage to the bridge caused by the insertion of the plaque. This investigation will determine the best method to repair the damage to the bridge following the removal of the plaque. The City Council is anxious to contact the people who placed the plaque on O'Connell Bridge. Information can be given to 012222222. It was removed quietly during what the Council claimed were restoration works to the bridge in 2007 thus removing Father Noise from history. But Dublin had not heard the last of Father Pat Noise. Right, come back to 1996 and the Millennium Clock with me. Where was I? It's launch night, the late late is covering it live and the crowds lined both sides of the River Liffey on the night of the 15th of March. There was a real spirit of optimism, not just for the night ahead, but the millennium itself seemed to offer Ireland a promise of a new beginning. We were leaving behind a 20th century of violence, division and economic hardship. The clock, with its digital figures, size and ambition, seemed to embody the mood. Along with the beginning of the Celtic Tiger, Ireland was going through something of a cultural puberty. There were all sorts of strange changes going on. Contraception had recently become widely available, and the 15th Amendment to the Constitution allowing divorce in Ireland came into law in June of 1996. And speaking of puberty, we even had boys on. No matter what they tell us. And that night's Late Late Show appeared musicians, comedians, politicians, and the general public for a celebration of the future and time itself. Gay Byrne was presenting, and a young Joe Duffy was the live reporter down at the bridge.
2: Don't they? We're all here in Studio Four for the Late Late Show, and a happy bank holiday weekend to you, and a happy St Patrick's Day to you, Joseph. What are you at down there? Tonight, Countdown 2000, the second-by-second countdown to December 31st, midnight, and December 31st, 1999, (laughs) begins here live. You are hopefully coming down later on, in about 4,000 seconds from now, to set the timer, which is embedded in the bed of the Liffey as it flows here between O'Connor Bridge and the Hakeny Bridge and um, it will be a river dance of fireworks and jugglers and music and theatre and if you, I need fell in there and if you have a millennium ambition be it musical poetic Uh, romantic. Why not come down here and share your millennium ambition with us? Now it's really important, Gay, and I make this point in a very serious prime time kind of way. You must get down here as precisely as you can near to around 11 o'clock, because once, once we start the clock, it must finish exactly at midnight on December 31st 1999, not just the end of the year, the end of the century, the end of the millennium. And if we don't start the clock precisely at that time, and if, if, uh, correctly, we could be stuck in the 20th century for longer than we ever want to be.
0: Hmm, even at this remove, there was only one way it was going to go. But I'll tell you about that in a minute. Come back to the story of Father Noise on me again for a moment. The documented information on Father Pat Noise is scant. But the plaque states that Father Noise was an advisor to Pather Clancy. Now, there was a Pather Clancy active in the Dublin IRA around the time of the death of Father Noyes in 1919. Born in West Clare, Clancy was a highly influential Republican and was sentenced to death by court-martial for his role in the Easter Rising, but had this commuted. This later proved to be merely a stay of execution. So is the Pather Clancy on the plaque of Father Pat Noyes the same Pather Clancy who died in Dublin Castle in 1920?
1: Correspondence now obviously comes up to the era, I suppose, p- post-1916 and the War of Independence. Padder Clancy had founded uh, a drapery business on Talbot Street in Dublin called Republican Outfitters. Um, and this became, and perhaps the name was a bit of a giveaway, it became a well-known meeting place for the IRA in Dublin. And Dan Breen said it was very closely watched and really you shouldn't stay there for too long if you were an IRA man. But it was also a drapery business. And and Father Noyes um, was, from the accounts and the letters, and some of these are quite gossipy and it's hard to interpret, was quite into his clothes, he was quite into very elaborate sort of capes. And I suppose top hats. And, and he basically was going to Pater Clancy to, to obtain these. Um, and I got the sense from some of the letters that perhaps Father Noise was Pater Clancy's main actual customer, as opposed to IRA, uh, it being a front business for the, for the IRA.
0: Now, don't worry, you haven't missed the grand launch of the clock. I'll play you that in a minute. But as I said, it seemed doomed and it was doomed. After its grand opening, the clock started to become a bit of a headache for Dublin City Council and Lotto alike. It seems the clock was not quite as robust as planned. Those 120 million seconds were in trouble. The clock's casing sprang a leak and it took on an eerie green glow beneath the water's surface. As early as September of 1996, Lord Mayor Brendan Lynch labelled it a white elephant and that it should be scrapped. The writing was on the wall. Mick Ryan is the owner of the Hapenny Bridge Inn, the closest pub to the clock, and he's been in business here for the past 26 years. Jason Murphy went to pick his brains about what he remembers of the world's greatest clock.
2: Oh, yeah. How are you? Is Mike the most? Yeah, I'm here, I'm
5: here. How are things? Actually, I'm all right, like. Have a look. You want to know about the thing in the river, do you? Uh, yeah, we'll be, uh, I hope you might be able to help me a small bit. Jesus, a long time ago now. Huh? You're, 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 you're looking nearly into the archives.
2: <laughs> the Mike Ryan archives. So it was
5: up nearer to O'Connell Bridge. Yeah. And you could see it from the O'Connell Bridge. If you were standing in the middle of O'Connell Bridge. Yeah. And it was counting down the times. Twas to so the countdown to the to the millennium. Yeah. But every three months they had to take out the um, clock. Out because the algae in the river was, you wouldn't see the clock. So it used to disappear. But they took it. was costing a lot of money. with a a crane to take it out? They'd have a big crane to take it out. They were a great razzmatazz and they're putting it in first. Was there a big
2: noise about it?
5: Ah, there were, you know, they were a big thing, like counting down to the millennium. And, uh, well, it was great, it brought people in. And, but uh, I'd say it was costing so much to do it every time, is to clean the algae out. Whoever Mm. made it it didn't know that it used to, you wouldn't see the glass in it at all, you know what I mean, so.
2: Now, another question for you. Father Pat noise.
1: That a noise.
0: Like Mick, so many people know what was on O'Connell Bridge, but very few know what currently is on O'Connell Bridge. And this is as good a time as any to catch up with the plaque story. Whoever put the plaque in claimed that it wasn't an act of vandalism. And it must be admitted it's been lovingly and skillfully made in a place just like cast. A family run foundry in Dublin's Liberties. Jason Murphy went along to see exactly what was involved. To make a bronze piece, first, a mould is set in wax. This wax is then coated in layers of ceramic material to prepare it to become fireproof. And this
4: is a silica sand that we build up on the outside of it. So we just build up those layers first of
0: all. The wax is then burned piece. from the inside out. Just been burnt out. The ceramic layer knocked out with a hammer. And you
4: can see the bronze coming through straight away. Yeah,
0: well. The bronze is then blasted and the finishing can begin. Before leaving Cast, they showed us one of the larger pieces they were working on that day.
4: And at the moment, gonna, that's, that's going up to Oris and Uchthoran. So there, it's a giant acorn that um, will have a time capsule in it and will be opened in it 100 years from now. What's the so, time capsule gonna be? The time capsule they're gonna put put uh, things in it. The president is gonna put stuff in there and a hundred years from now, whoever opens it, the president at the time, they they'll know what's in there and sort of say, Well, can, is there is there can cars fly? We have all these different things written on, on the outside of it, so it's gonna be a very, very interesting project. The I won't be around to see.
0: Once the plaque was made came the tricky bit. Installing it at one of the busiest spots in the country without anyone well noticing. It's one of the only clues we have as to the identity of the infamous H.S.T.I. After the plaque was discovered two years after its installation, a video was sent anonymously to R.T.E. It showed two men, faces blurred, in high-vis jackets, installing the plaque in broad daylight. Bold as brass. So we've established the plaque and the clock share a space on the bridge, but it also seems they are bound together by the concept of time, no less. In fact, time so obsessed for the noise that the academic Seamus Sweeney has come across a poem for the noise appears to have written on the nature of time.
1: Uh, he wrote a poem which um, he read out in a sermon and, and he, he his parish was, he was a curate actually and he never seems to have gone beyond being a curate which maybe tells his own story uh, on Berkeley Road in Dublin. Um, but his poem went, Do you want to see what human eyes have never seen? Look at the moon. Do you want to hear what ears have never heard? Listen to the birds cry. Do you want to touch what hands have never touched? Touch the earth. Truly I say that God is about to create the world. And this was in contained in a letter from uh, another priest quite hostile to Father Noyes. But I suppose what Father Noyes was, according to this priest, stating was that there are no two moments alike and every moment is, is, is a new moment and that history is in a cycle and life is in a cycle because every moment is new again.
0: So time preoccupied the mind of Father Pat Noyes, and the scene of his apparent death was to become home to a giant clock. Just like the plaque, time was beginning to catch up on the clock. People were beginning to realise it just wasn't very practical. It seemed to be, well, in the way. Big time, if you'll excuse the pun. Frank Kilfeather recalls one of its many removals. He covered it in the Irishman's diary column in the Irish Times. Time
3: out for the Millennium Clock. Tuesday, March the 19th, 1996. Only three days after it was switched on to great fanfare, the Millennium Clock has disappeared from the River Liffey. Hundreds of puzzled Dubliners and visitors were practically falling into an Olivia yesterday trying to get a look at the National Lottery's £250,000 clock, which is supposed to float just beneath the surface of the river near O'Connell's Bridge. They were bitterly disappointed to find it was gone. It had been removed and nobody seemed to know where it was hidden or if it would return. There was confusion and no shortage of Dublin explanations as to where the chime in the slime might be hiding. According to one observer, I've heard of moving statues, but this is ridiculous. The true story is less dramatic. A spokesman for the National Lottery said... There was no cause for worry. The clock would be returning to its berth after Easter. It had to be removed to make way for the boat races. Would it have to be taken out again when the Liffey swim was taking place? He wasn't sure of that, but felt they might be able to move it sideways so that it did not interfere with the swimmers. The Lotto spokesman said the temporary removal of the clock would not affect the timer
0: in the least. It would not miss a second. So the boat race removed the clock. However, it seems even the might of the local authorities couldn't remove the plaque. Dublin City Council had torn it out in 2007 and that was that, except it wasn't. Shortly after its removal, one day somebody noticed that it was back. A replacement had been installed. Father Pat Noyes was determined to stay a part of Dublin. Its reappearance made news headlines where an expert poured scorn on the tale of Father Noyes, who by now was gathering a following.
2: First of all, uh, the name Padder Clancy is spelt incorrectly. He was a patriot in 1916, killed by the British in 1920, but his name is spelt incorrectly. And also, Father Pat Noyes is nobody I've ever heard of. He may have existed and that could easily be checked. Neither.
0: So it just seems to me, on, on deduction, to be a, a scam. It added fuel to the fire. For the noise went from curiosity to legend. Flowers and messages were left on the bridge, one card calling for the Vatican to can noisy. For the noise had struck a nerve as well as the bridge. His legacy was evolving. Dublin City Council announced again that the plaque was to go. But for the noise was after earning some friends in high places... Dermot Lacey amongst them.
4: We we don't have a lot of powers as councillors and uh, we try to use them as well as we can, but one of the the powers we were able to do, I can't actually remember under what piece of legislation, but we were able to tell the officials that, uh, I think it was what, we we told them that they couldn't spend money that would be involved in removing the plaque and they had no authority to spend the money that it would cost probably very little, to, to be honest with you. But we used that power to direct them not to remove the plaque
0: for the noise was saved. Now you may be thinking we're trying to bend time by telling this story slightly backwards, but I promise you you wouldn't miss the grand opening of the clock, and you won't. Back on the bridge in 1996 the night was drawing in. The clock was due to begin at 11:15 p.m. to tie in with the late late show broadcast time. Gay Byrne left RTÉ and Donnybrook to travel to the bridge for the countdown. While he was travelling, the programme spent a full 30 minutes broadcasting live from there, with Joe Duffy doing his best to keep the theme time-related.
2: The clock, by the way, Gay, is linked... ..is linked by radio to the atomic clock... In rugby in England. It will rise and fall with the tide. It's one foot under the water and will always be one foot under the water regardless of the rain, hail or shine.
0: Even as the engineers worked to make sure the clock would start correctly on television they must have known that just three days later it was to come out for the boat race. In truth it was a project destined to fail. It was taken out of the river for repairs a number of times Finally, in December 1996, after being removed again for repairs, it did not return. The river had won. After Dermot Lacey's intervention, passing the motion, saving the plaque, Father noise was enshrined on the bridge. Still, though, nobody knew who had made this rather grand gesture. The identity of the HSTI remains a mystery. Some said it was an anagram. Hmm, H-S-T-I... We tried to contact this elusive organisation and through an intermediary, they did reply. They didn't want to take part in the programme. It means we've almost never heard from the people who put in this plaque. Along with the video, they did write an email in 2007 when the council finally found out a plaque had been sitting under their noses for two years on one of the country's busiest bridges. It read... I could not find fault with Dublin City Council for not spotting the plaque for all this time. Along with the council who have come in for some criticism, there are thousands of people who pass by daily, some of whom swore never to have seen it before last week. However, this quiet little piece has been sitting there for over two years now, occasionally informing those whose gaze happened to drift sideways. I hope that this experience has lifted people a little and added in some way to their lives, and may it bring a smile to all who pass the location of this suspicious crash. One may say that the story of this plaque is bizarre, but what was more bizarre? A bronze monument to a possibly fictional character, or what was happening 11 years earlier back on the bridge when the country's biggest programme was covering live the launch of a massive digital watch? As well as the general public offering their time-related talents, Joe was joined by some of the country's biggest stars of the day.
2: Welcome back. We're here on O'Connor Bridge. The countdown will begin as soon as Gabriel Mary Bourne arrives on his, his bicycle. Any sign of gay? No sign of him as of yet. This man is Richie Kavner. He's number two in the charts this week. He's bigger than Boyzone, and And that's, that's just around the waist. Where are you from, Richie? I'm from Gary Hill, Bagnestown, County Cardfield, down near Dan country. Dan country. <laughs> okay, what's the song? It's number two? Yeah, it's number two in the charts this week, which is great. It's a little song called Ain't Fuckle ga Fuckle Too, Fuckle Ella. And I not know no Fuckle at all. And you hope it'll be number one by the end of the millennium. Please hopefully, God. Hopefully. Okay, yeah. let's hopefully. hear it. Ain't Fuckle Ella, Richie Kavanagh, live from <laughs> Over the Bridge. <laughs>
0: We desperately needed to believe the millennium and its clock would bring us the happiness and the hope that the future promised. So was this same need to believe in something, anything, also what drove the people behind the Father Pat Noise plaque? Is it possible that a small bronze monument actually gave us what this spectacular digital timepiece couldn't? A sense of intrigue, excitement and mystery.
4: I think it says two things. I think it says the Dubliners have great uh, imagination, have great initiative, have a little bit of the rebel in them who like to sort of take a take a stone to authority, who like to just sort of you know be a little bit of officialdom. I don't think I met any ordinary citizen during that, that debate who wasn't with us on it. Uh, Most of the officials uh, were against us. So I think it says that Dubliners have an imagination that they stand up against authority when it's unduly enforced, but also that they actually do like the city and they like the city's eccentricities to be honoured and remembered. And to me, honouring Father Pat Noyes and that story behind us, it's all part of that.
0: Back on the bridge in 1996, people had burst into song. Such was the excitement and anticipation of the launch of our gargantuan clock.
2: Well done, Barry And What's your name? Lily Caffrey. From where, Lily? Crampton Buildings. OK, what, the millennium, your ambitions? For peace. Peace. Peace in okay. our, all over. Peace in our time. In our time, okay. yes. OK. You sing, Lily. I do, yes, Sing me job. a song with time in it. Some reference to time. <laughs> On account of the second-hand clock. The brand-new second-hand clock we're about to start. Time waits for no one It passes you
5: by It goes on forever Like the stars in the sky Time waits for no one It passes you through it's just like the river flowing down to the sea.
0: The clock was to become a part of the river and illuminate our march to the future. Instead, the humble algae in the river became part of the clock and led to its demise. The river delivered perhaps the greatest lesson in all this that while time may well be eternal, we are not. The clock disappeared meekly in December of 1996, leaving nothing but a gap in the bridge. Two years on from the fiasco, Irish the company who built the clock, collapsed with 250 people losing their jobs. However, the plaque to Father Noyes remains on the bridge and the man it honours has entered Dublin folklore. Father Noyes has become an inspiration for the likes of Seamus Sweeney, who, you may have guessed by now, wrote a fictional biography of the mysterious cleric, Who never existed. Maybe Seamus is right. Sometimes the reality or otherwise of a character is irrelevant. What matters is the impact they have. Father Noise has energised musicians, including ballad singer Eddie Sherlock and piper Owen Dillon, who composed The Lament for Father Pat Noise. There's even a hip hop producer based in Dublin who goes by the name of Father Pat Noise. So having told you these two stories, my question is which occupant of this tiny hole has made the bigger impact? A huge digital clock installed at great expense and to a fanfare of epic proportions? Or a simple bronze plaque to a man who never existed?
2: Ladies and gentlemen, when I give you the word, I would be very grateful if you would start the countdown from ten. Wait till I give you the cue, and then at that moment, the millennium clock will start counting down to the year 2000. So, are we all ready to go? Is there anything else to be done? Right then, let's start now with a ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, Three, two, one, zero! There it
5: is! The millennium clock counting down already. already.
0: So the next time you stroll across O'Connell Bridge, take the time to dwell at the scene of a spectacular farce. Whichever one you choose to remember.